So from the, the time of the, the ancient Greek philosophers, truth, goodness, and beauty have been identified as three great pre-existing transcendental truths, transcendental ideals. Even before we were born, before human beings came into being, um, truth, goodness, and beauty existed. And early Christian thinkers, building on the, the Greek philosophers, um, were convinced that all truth and all goodness and all beauty ultimately come from God. They are a gift from God, and they point back to God. And one of the things that's extraordinary is that our ability to recognize something as being true, something as being good, something as being beautiful, come from our having been created in the image and likeness of God. That's why truth resonates with us. It's why we respond to the good and why we respond to the beautiful. Um, American Christian philosopher Peter Kraft, a great guy, uh, writing about uh, truth, goodness, and beauty, says that there are three things that will never die. Truth, goodness, and beauty. These are the three things that we all need. And we need them absolutely. And we know we need them. And we need them absolutely. Our minds want not only some truth and some falsehood, but truth without limit. Our wills want not only some good and some evil, but all good without limit. That's what we want. Our desires, our imaginations, our feelings, our hearts want not just some beauty and some ugliness, but all beauty without limit. That rings true, doesn't it? Truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, why are they preexistent? Why are they eternal? Um, it's because they're three attributes of God. God is true. God is good. God is beautiful. And whenever we recognize truth and goodness or, or beauty in creation, we are seeing something that is both a gift and a reflection, a gift from and a reflection of God. You know, what, one of the, for me, one of the things that makes this particular season, this Advent and Christmas season so special, is the way that Advent and Christmas celebrate the truth and the goodness and the beauty that entered into the world with the coming of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do, starting this week, we're launching a four-week series on the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Christmas. Uh, today we're talking about truth. Next week we'll talk about the goodness of Christmas. The week after that we will talk about the beauty of Christmas, and then it will culminate in um, our annual festival of lessons and carols, which is just a, a beautiful experience of the truth and the goodness and the beauty of Christmas. So again, we're launching the series uh, today with a message on Jesus and the truth of Christmas. Now, I want to start with a question. And the question is this. Do you know the reason you were born? If somebody were to ask you, what do you think you were born? Would you be able to answer that question? Jesus was. As a matter of fact, we find it in today's text, which 
we tend not to think of a Chris, as a Christmas text, but it really is. Jesus says, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Why Christmas? So Jesus could testify to the truth. What's interesting is that he made this statement about his birth just a couple of hours before his death. And um, the response to it is fascinating because the man to whom he spoke those words couldn't help but ask in response. When Jesus says, I came to testify to the truth, he said, what is truth? What is truth? Uh, Who asked that question? It's Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the fifth prefect of the Roman province of Judea. And he was in many ways a man for our times. Uh, and, and here's why. It's because we live in an age of relativism. And the question, what is truth, is the kind of question a relativist would ask. Because Pontius Pilate, you know, he had heard as a, a Roman ruler, he was always hearing from different constituencies who had their own version of the truth. He, he never heard truth. He just heard versions we live in an age of relativism where, where it is widely believed that there is no such thing as truth. This is actually taught in universities now. There's no such thing as truth, only versions, only truths, where something can be true for you but not for me. And people will say that. This, this belief that something can be true for you and not for me, it's become so pervasive uh, on a global scale that the the editors of the Oxford English Dictionary chose the term post-truth as the 2016 word of the year. All of this um, finds kind of a philosophical undergirding in something that's called postmodernism. And proponents of, of postmodernism argue that what was once known as truth, what we used to describe as truth, is nothing more than like a social construction. It's the product of historical and economic or political self-interest and, and power. It's one of the reasons, by the way, in my judgment, that modern politics has become so frustrating and and so infuriating. Because instead of people, even if they come from things from different points of view, instead of us coming together to try to discover the facts, instead of us coming together in order to search for truth that may challenge my beliefs as much as it challenges someone else. Instead of that, political operatives just dismiss their opponents by claiming that they're laying out a false narrative. You've probably heard this. People talk about fake news. Um, There was a study that was done pretty recently at Stanford University where uh, a group of students were, uh, were shown... Um, a, a number of news articles um, that were part of their Facebook feed, and they didn't have the tools to distinguish between what was just made up and what was real. It used to be believed that 
uh, with the age of the internet that we would have so much um, not we would have so much information that all we'd have to do is go online and just um, just look something up and we'd know what the truth is. But the thing is, because of human sin, what happens is that people post stuff on the internet that isn't true at all in order to manipulate us. And sad to say, you know, we have members of our own church who, you know, read stuff, and then they'll, they'll pass it on without ever checking to see if it's true or not. We live in an area uh, or an age of, of um, post-truth. Now, the idea that there is no such thing as truth, that no one is reliable, that you can't trust anything, this idea that there's no such thing as truth has been carried to absolutely absurd lengths. And one of my favorite illustrations of, of this actually dates back to 1996 when a professor, a physics professor at New York University and University College London, he has uh, posts in, in both places, a guy by the name of Dr. Alan Sokol submitted an article to a journal, an academic journal called Social Text. This academic journal, Social Text, is a journal of postmodern cultural studies. As a scientist, he submitted an, art, uh, an article in which he argued that gravity doesn't really exist. That it is just a social construct that we all agree on, but it's not a real thing. Amazingly, it was published. The article was printed at which point the author, Alan Sokol, let, you know, put out a press release admitting that the article was complete and utter nonsense. The only reason he had submitted it is to see if it would actually be printed if, one, it sounded good, and two, if it flattered the editor's preconceptions. Um, hate to break it to you folks, gravity is a thing. Whoever would have imagined that you would hear in a message in church, gravity really exists. It's a thing. Besides which, you know, this whole idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth, let's just apply a little bit of common sense to, to that statement. Saying that there is no such thing as absolute truth is a self-refuting statement. Think about it for a second. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Really? Is that absolutely true? It, it drives me nuts. It's like I remember when I was a little kid, um, somebody handed me a piece of paper. One side of it, it said, the statement on the other side of this paper is false. And I turned it over and it said, the statement on the other side of this paper is true. And I could go, oh, you know. But here's my point in mentioning all of this. You know, we're talking about the truth of Christmas. Christianity has always claimed and it's always assumed, it is always proclaimed that the truth is objective. 
that there is such a thing as truth. That it's not true for you and true for me. There's, some, there's ultimate truth out there. Truth is real. Truth exists. And we find this in our scripture reading today. Listen to what Jesus is saying. For this I was born. Why, why was Jesus born? For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. He didn't say, oh, I'm here just to give you my version of the truth. He said, no, this is reliable. This is is the really real. This is what you can build your life on. While each of us may may have our own opinions about or we might have our own insights into what is true, the truth itself is is what is real. Whether we believe it and base our lives on it or not. Let me give you a tiny example of this. Los Angeles is a real place. And some of you might have one picture of uh, what Los Angeles is like or what Calcutta is like. And somebody else might have their, their notion of it. And uh, each of us are going to have our own perspectives and we're going to be partly right and partly wrong. But you know what? That doesn't change what Los Angeles actually is. It's a real thing. And so we always measure our own opinions and so on against what is true, what is real. And what that means is that we have a responsibility to discover the truth. Gravity isn't a social construct. It's a thing. The truth that we celebrate at Christmas is the truth that Jesus, the, the promised, long-awaited Messiah, the people of Israel, Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world, entered into human history. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, entered into human history in Bethlehem of Judea. And he lived a righteous life, and he announced the coming of the kingdom of God. And he was put to death on a cross for our salvation and rose from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. And because Jesus entered into human history, you know what that means? Because Jesus entered into human history, all of those things that I just mentioned are subject to historical investigation and confirmation. We can, it's like the X-Files back in the day. Um, The truth is out there. And we can discover what that truth is. Now, not only... Does uh, the Christian faith claim and proclaim that truth is objective? It also tells us, and you probably have figured this out already, that the truth is personal. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean, I don't mean by that that truth is just a personal opinion, that something can be true for you and not for me. What, what I mean is that ultimate truth, ultimate truth is about a person. Truth isn't just a, a list of propositions. It is not just a catalog of facts. God, 
God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the ground of all truth. Uh, all goodness, all beauty, that's why they're preexistent. But they come to us in the form of, of person. All that is true, all that's good, all that is beautiful comes from God, and it points back to God. And this is why Jesus can say, if you, if, if you want to know what it means to say that the truth is personal, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the way and what? The truth. I am the truth. It's personal. The Bible teaches us that all that is true about God and about the world in which we live and about who we are as human beings is found in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, the New Testament word for, for truth this is the Old Testament word because it was written in Hebrew. It's emet. And then in the New Testament word, the New Testament word for, for truth, the word that uh, is actually used in the Gospel of John here in recording Jesus' word, is a Greek word, aletheia. And it refers to something that is not concealed. Something that has been revealed. Something that has been disclosed. And because it's not concealed, because it is revealed, because it is disclosed, it's something that we really can know about, and that means we can base our life on. And so the word truth also means that on which we can rely. Jesus came into the world to disclose, to reveal, to pull back the curtain, to show us the truth about who God is. What that means is that we don't have to guess about who God is. All those late night conversations that college students have, you know, when, oh, I think God's like this. I don't think God's like that at all. Well, who cares what, you know, we think. We're just making it up. Jesus came in the world to actually show us. And here's the extraordinary thing. Jesus was not just the messenger of the truth, you know, like a prophet would be. Jesus was not just the messenger, he was the message. He, he wasn't just the revealer, he is actually the revelation. Jesus came to show us the heart of God. And the way he did that he came to us as God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means, that word that we associate with this season. God with us. Because it's the only way we're ever going to really know who God is. Oh, we can kind of pick up a little bit in creation about who, who God is, but we can only learn from creation that God maybe loves diversity, that God is powerful, but we can never know how much God truly loves us and, and the extent to which God would go for our salvation until Jesus came into the world. The truth, again, I want to say it, the truth we celebrate at Christmas is it's personal. This, this person, Jesus, has shown us in a way that no one ever had, no one ever can, and no one ever will who God really is, what God's heart is like, what God is willing to go through for the sake of your salvation. And all of that is a truth upon which we can rely.
the truth at the heart of the universe. One thing that we can just you know, drive a stake in the ground and say, I know this is true. The truth at the heart of the universe is God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the God who created all things visible and invisible, the God in whom all things hold together, the God who made us in his image and likeness, the God who loves us in all of our brokenness in need is the God who's come to us through Jesus Christ. The truth, remember the word truth in the Greek, it means no longer hidden, disclosed, revealed. The truth we celebrate at Christmas is, and this is from Colossians chapter 1, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. Christ, and not just Christ, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christmas marks the moment. Christmas marks the moment when truth entered into the world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Now, knowing that, it follows logically that the truth has consequences. It makes a difference. Christmas, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, was meant to change us forever. It's meant to change the way we think about God, the way we think about the world, the way we think about ourselves. It's meant to change our hearts. It is meant to change our lives. It was meant to change us forever by revealing the God of truth and the truth of God. And then just letting that truth work its power. Because I want you to know something, and this we, I think you all know is true as well. Truth is a formidable force. You know, it breaks my heart to, you know, the, the, these disclosures that, that we have um, learned of over the past few weeks of, you know, people like Garrison Keillor and Matt Lauer and, you know, f- folks that, f- you know, for years people have, have looked up to as kind of folks of integrity and everything, that there was something hidden about it, that they weren't really living in the truth. The thing is that, that um, when the truth became known, it's powerful. What is, what, what's some of the stuff that truth does? God's truth exposes untruth. God's truth reveals the lies. And it does that by offering us an ultimate standard against which all of our thoughts and theories and opinions and judgments and beliefs, all that stuff can be measured. Because it's true. You know, that, that if it's just us and we're just making things up, something can be true for you and not for me, but it's not really necessarily true. It's just our opinion. But if truth has been revealed to us, that's powerful because we have something against which to measure not only other people's ideas, which we are quick to do on our own, and not just to measure their ideas against what we think, but to measure our own ideas about what God tells us. God's truth is is something like the, the vision that God gave the prophet Amos great, 
great text. This is what he showed me, Amos tells us. The Lord was standing beside a, a wall that was built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. You know what? If, if a plumb line and a wall don't line up, it doesn't matter what you think. And it doesn't matter what your eyes tell you. It's the wall. It is not the plumb line that has the problem. And if, if and when, no matter how good and how right and how true our opinions or our beliefs or you know, our perspectives, our theories, if and when those thoughts and theories don't line up with God's truth shown through Jesus Christ, we ought to be real careful about not jumping to the conclusion that, as many people do, well, God just must be wrong then. And, you know, you've probably been in growth groups where people, you know, they're reading the Bible and they go, you know, that just doesn't seem right. You know, whenever something doesn't seem right in Scripture, take a deep breath, count to a thousand, and just (laughs) dig deep. And, by the way, isn't it interesting that uh, I use this uh, image of the plumb line in the message this morning because what makes a plumb line work? Gravity, it's a thing. Uh, what else? Uh, truth is powerful. You know what else God's truth does? God's truth brings us freedom. Jesus taught that. Jesus tells a group of his own followers. They happen to be from a Jewish background. He tells them in, Jewish, uh, or in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, and by the way, it's not enough just to start out and then go, uh, that, I'm, I'm over that now. It, no, if you continue in my, my word, you are truly my disciples. And what does he say? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth brings us freedom. Listen, folks, if you are trying to build, if you try to build your life on lies, and maybe not even lies, if you try to, Um, build your life on untruth. If you try to build your life just on your personal opinions, I will tell you something. Your life will be filled with futility and frustration if it is not the truth. Some of us wonder, why are my finances so messed up? Because we're basing our finances on our personal opinion about how we ought to manage them instead of trusting God's word. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, not only do you hear the truth, but then you actually live out the implications in your life. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. You have to build your life on truth or when the storms come, the house is going to fall down. 
See, God created, God created the world, and it is meant to work in a particular way. And when we align our lives with the will of God, when we measure our lives against the plumb line of God's truth, it brings freedom. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. What else does the truth do? You know, commitment to and a love for truth actually leads to salvation. Paul makes that clear in, in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. It's a great verse. But let me give you a great example of this. You know, it, it was a commitment to the truth that led this guy, an attorney, a, a journalist for a great metropolitan newspaper, a strident atheist, a guy named Lee Strobel. His search for the truth led him to write a book about how he became a Christian. It's called The Case for Christ. Amazing book. You know, here is this guy, he finds, he's, he's an atheist, he's bitter, he's had a bad relationship with his dad, and I, I think he probably imagined that God must be like his, his dad. And so he always was pushing God away, and then he finds this, this girl, and she's an atheist too, and they can raise their atheist kids, and it's all going to be great. And then she becomes a Christian, and he finds out about it, and he feels like she just cheated on him. He goes to the church that she's been attending to try to blow holes in it and, and show all the different ways it's like a cult and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, and then he just decides, you know what? I'm an attorney and I'm a journalist and I know how to ferret out lies and expose you know, people and stuff. And I'm going to do the same thing with Jesus. I'm going to do the same thing with the Gospels. And he started digging in. Is the Bible reliable? Did the resurrection really happen? He did, did all of this research. And by the time he'd finished, he'd become a follower of Jesus. And by the way, if you uh, don't have time to read the book, I hope you, you would. We don't read enough. It's one of the reasons why we can't tell truth from fiction anymore. As Christians, we ought to be readers. If you don't, don't have time, it's a busy time of year, one of the things I really encourage you to do is pick up a copy of the of DVD. This was, the Case for Christ was just made into a major motion picture. Great production values. It just came out on DVD, Blu-ray, in the past couple of weeks. It's really well done. Lee Strobel, who, you know, it was, it's actually about him, he showed up on set while they were filming and everything. And there was one scene where the guy who plays Lee Strobel was having this, you know, kind of a little bit of a battle with the guy who played Lee's father in the movie. Lee said the guy who plays his dad in the movie looks almost exactly like his real dad. And when he was on the scene, he just relived that and, and wept because it was so real. Great movie. But, but it was Lee Strobel's commitment to and his love for the truth that led him to find Jesus. And one of, one of the most powerful things that we have going for us as followers of, of Jesus, you know, I, I, every single one of us, we have people in our lives who don't yet know and love Christ. And one of the best things that we have going for us is the truth. And just say, look into it. You know, invite your friends to the Alpha Course. 
Let them dig into it and, and sort it out and see if it doesn't lead to salvation. Truth is powerful. I'll tell you another thing that, that God's truth can do. God's truth should lead to godly living. It ought to change our lives. Um, John writes in, in one of his letters, if, if we say that we have fellowship with, with Christ while we're walking in darkness, we lie. And we don't know what is true. You know, there should be um, integrity in our lives. There should be a consistency in our lives between what we say we believe and the way we actually live our lives. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we, you know, constantly need to look at our brokenness and ad- admit our ongoing need for salvation and so on. But if we have committed ourselves to the truth that we found in Jesus Christ, the really cool thing is, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, as Jesus calls him actually, starts to live in us and work through us and change our, li- or change our hearts, and that starts changing our perspectives and changing our lives. And it makes us more godly, more Christ-like. Those, those who've embraced the truth will live the truth. Those who've embraced the truth will speak the truth in love to one another. You know, I hope that's what you hear every week when you come, come here to Stonebridge. I ho- hope you hear the truth. And I hope you hear and experience love. We need both. Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And isn't that cool, cool too, that the truth can actually um, mature us and, and kind of help us to grow up. And more and more, each one of us is like Christ. The closer and closer we get to one another, the more forgiving, the more understanding, the more grace-filled. There, there's a strong, really a powerful connection between uh, love and truth. The Apostle Paul writing in, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know that great verse about love that we hear so often at, um, at weddings. Love is patient. Love is, is kind. You know one of the things that Paul says is love rejoices in the truth. The, the belt of truth it might sound like kind of a weird... Uh, weird phrase, but um, but it's basically it's an essential part of uh, the armor of God that we read about in Ephesians chapter six. You know what what does armor do? It protects us, and what does it protect us from? You know Satan is called the father of lies, and what what's his greatest tool? Misdirection, lies. Half-truths. Half-truths especially because there's something there that hooks you. But then the lie gets snuck in. Not only that, but, you know, we as a church family, we as the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, we together have been called by God, listen to this, to be the pillar and bulwark of the truth. 
Because the truth of, about who God is, the truth that entered the world in the person and work of Jesus Christ, uh, no one else is proclaiming that truth. That's been entrusted to us. This is why people have said that the, the church really is, in many ways, the hope of the world, not because the church saves, but because the church points to the, the truth, points to the one who does save. So when Pilate asks that question, cynical, world-weary Pilate who has heard every version in the world, when Pilate ponders what is truth, we have a God-given answer. You know what the truth is? The truth is objective. It's not true for you and true for me. It is true for everyone. It's like gravity. It's a thing. The truth is personal. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is powerful, exposing untruth, exposing lies, exposing half-truths, setting people free, bringing about our salvation and changing us into the Christ-like people. It's God's dream for us to become. And that, folks, is the truth. It's the truth we celebrate this holy season.